Well, Ruth, thank you so much for joining us and making time to speak to our St. Peter's community about discernment. Oh, you're welcome. I feel like I'm an honorary member of your community. So <laughs> this is just part of it. You are. We, we consider you an honorary member. <laughs> the first question would be, like, what is spiritual discernment and why is it so important for us? Well, there are lots of ways you could talk about spiritual discernment. And when I use the word discernment, I'm always talking about spiritual discernment. Um, spiritual discernment has to do with the Holy Spirit, you know, being guided by the Holy Spirit. And that word means something to me. The word spiritual means of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So um, I will talk discernment, but I'm, I mean spiritual discernment, which is by definition, being willing to be guided and finding ways to open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Um, Ignatius has a definition that I really like, um, finding God in all things in order that we might love and serve God in all. So he's one of the fathers of the church. And that definition is very, very simple, very meaningful. And it has to do with alignment, really. And that is aligning ourselves with God's purposes and being willing to, you know, move in, in that way. I have another definition that's my own because it has a few more components to it. Uh, if you'd like me to offer that up. Um, it's an increasing capacity and uh, every word makes a difference and I'll unpack it a little bit, but an increasing capacity to recognize and respond to the presence and the activity of God, both in the ordinary moments of our lives and in the larger decisions of our lives. Mm -hmm. So the word increasing capacity is my way of saying nobody gets perfect at discernment. Nobody is perfect at discernment, but we can increase our capacity. So that phrase really matters to me increasing our capacity, even though none of us will be perfect at this while we're on this side of heaven, um, and increasing capacity to recognize and respond. Um, so to recognize means that I become aware, you know, of God's presence and what, what's happening, you know, and spiritually speaking in a moment, but we all know that we can recognize it, but not respond. And so Jonah is someone in scripture who definitely recognized the voice of God in his life, but he actively resisted that voice. And he said, no, I'm not going that way. I'm going my own way. And so it's one thing to recognize it. It's another thing to respond and to align ourselves with what God is doing. So to recognize, but also to respond and to follow whatever it is that we're hearing from God. So to recognize and respond to the presence and the activity. So um, the presence is you know, that awareness, that consciousness of God's presence as our ultimate orienting reality. And we can grow in our capacity to experience ourselves to be in that presence, you know, and to recognize the fact that the presence of God is here now. So, you know, to recognize uh, the presence and to know that I'm always in that presence, I can never fall out of that presence. Uh, God's presence is the air that I breathe. It's the water that I swim in. But then also there are moments when God seems to be up to something, you know, and so we're able to recognize, oh, it's not just the presence right now. It's that God's active and I can recognize God's activity and I can move with God's activity. I can participate in what God is doing. So there's the habit of being aware of God's presence, but then there's also the ability to recognize when God's up to something mm -hmm. and to align myself with it. Um, so, the, you know, the, the presence and the activity of God, both in the ordinary moments of my life. So that's the habit of discernment. Uh, that's beginning to recognize God's presence and God's activity in all the ordinary moments of my life. But then there are these larger decisions in our lives, too, 
where we say, I want to make this decision in God. This decision is, is of such magnitude. So getting married or my education or, you know, you know, serving in a particular place and vocation, um, what to do with a marriage that may be struggling or not working, um, all those kinds of things are those major decisions of life where there are actual practices associated with discernment that we can enter into when the decisions are of such magnitude that we know we want to make our decisions in God, clearly guided by God. So I know that's a lot. That's a that's a lot in one definition, but I think all of those words and ideas really matter. Discernment is a multi-layered thing in scripture and in our lives. And so hopefully that definition acknowledges some of the layers. I feel like when people hear the word discernment and even hearing that definition, it feels like, you know, the danger that's there is sort of like, well, I can convince myself that anything is God's activity yes. or this is God's will or God's saying X, Y, Z, and it's not. Mm -hmm. So that's why a practice is important, not just this word discernment that feels kind of woo woo, mm -hmm. you know, and is really yeah. imprecise and doesn't have any structure around it. No, I'm talking about an actual practice that has structure that can actually limit some of our self-deceptive self ways or the ways that we can use uh, discernment manipulatively with one another. It's why a practice really matters. Yeah. Well, so speaking of practice, yeah. So like, what does that look like? Unpacked, like kind of concretely. Yeah. Well, um, the first of all, the first movement in a discernment practice is the most challenging one, and it is the prayer for indifference, um, indifference to anything but the will of God, not apathy, but I am indifferent to anything but the will of God. And that movement right there is really challenging to us as people. It's very challenging to the false self uh, to want to open up to God's will versus my own. Um, and so when we know that we're entering into discernment, we begin to pray for the gift of discernment or the gift of indifference. And indifference is, you know, something that gets given. It's a gift. It's not something that we can accomplish for ourselves. And you might wonder, where do you get that idea biblically? And um, I go to Mary, the mother of Jesus, who, when the angel came to her and began to describe God's will, she said, uh, here am I, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your will. That is, by definition, a prayer of indifference. She was indifferent to matters of personal comfort. She was indifferent to how other people would view her. She was indifferent to the matter of convenience. Um, there would even be pain, you know, as as God's will was revealed and unfolded in her life. But she was indifferent to all of that. She said, I'm passionate about God's will. And so whatever it is, let it be with me according to your uh, according to your will. And then, of course, we know that Jesus himself wrestled with indifference in the Garden of Gethsemane when he actually went into the garden and he wrestled with God's will. He actually sweat great drops of blood and he and God wrestled it down to the mat. And finally, even though Jesus had an opinion, he had a preference that there would be an easier way. I think what he was saying to God was, is there some other way besides crucifixion? You yeah. know, he had a preference. He had an opinion. Yeah. But once he realized that it was God's will, he set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem and he followed God's will for his life. And so that's one of the places where we really wrestle with our own false self motives. Mm -hmm. And we allow God to come in and to really purify our intentions and to show us where our will might be different than what God's will is for us. So the prayer of indifference, um, so that we can eventually pray it, you know, mm -hmm. um, we actually have to ask for it. 
because it's a gift so that we're able to pray the prayer itself. Let it be with me according to your will. So there's a real spiritual process there that actually can purify us if we're willing to, to pray it. And I think this is a place where spiritual direction and spiritual friendship can be really important, spiritual community, where we're able to open up everything that we're thinking and feeling about the decision and allow the community to speak in and to ask us maybe at times really challenging questions. Um, so that's, yeah. that's, you know, one of the ways in which the process itself and the practice can um, sort of help us with manipulation and self-deception. It's the hardest part because once you get past that, then you pray the prayer for wisdom. Mm-hmm. You enter into the place of really quietly trusting God for God's will in your life. Um, if you're practicing solitude and silence in your life in an effective way, and by, by that I mean you're practicing solitude and silence in such a way that you are able to be with God with what is, and you're able to notice what's going on, spiritually speaking, um, and you can bring your your discernment into your solitude and silence where you're accustomed to listening for the one true voice in your life. And that true voice, if it's true, will at times really challenge us in those false self spaces and will challenge our own agendas and will, you know, by God's grace and through self-examination, maybe even reveal to us what parts of ourselves, and this might sound harsh, but hear it gently, where there might be something in me that needs to die in order for the will of God to come forth. And so the prayer for indifference takes us to that place. Is there something in me that needs to die in order for the will of God to come forth? in my life. And that's a place of real spiritual wrestling versus just choosing what I think I want. Right. Yeah. Well, what I appreciate about, you know, when you, you talking about the, the, the prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane Mm -hmm. is the fact that he did say like what he wanted, he wanted to pass from him and just feeling of like, okay, like I may have a a desire that's a personal desire, something that I really want. And I can name that. That's right you know, without mm. feeling like, um, like that's something that, that is bad or wrong. Right. And to hold it out there very openly in God's presence and to be open to what God is really, what God is really saying. Now we're talking right now about a very mature kind of spirituality. You know, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of spir- spiritual maturity to engage with God's will at yeah. this level. So I almost want to say, you know, don't try that. Just, you know, don't try this at home. <laughs> you, let, <laughs> you know, don't, yeah. don't, you know, think that this is going to be something that can come about in your life if you haven't done some of the other things that are necessary. So for instance, a really healthy process of self-examination in one's life mm-hmm. where I can actually tell the difference between my false self and my true self. Mm-hmm. So that in a discernment process, I can actually choose what's truest rather than choosing just what will make my false self feel comfortable. Now there's some fine nuance in there. There's a lot of maturity that needs to be there. The first thing we have to be able to discern spiritually is between what's true and what's false within ourselves. Uh, right. Not what's true and what's false in this decision, not what's true and what's false in the world out there, but to learn to discern what's true and what's false within myself. Yeah. That's one of the most important first steps. Yeah. In discernment. And that's, that's spiritual maturity. You're really growing in your maturity 
when you're able to discern what's true and what's false within yourself. What counsel would you give to a community that just really wants to start practicing discernment? I mean, you've touched on some of that, but yeah, just any sort yeah. of final encouragement around that? Yeah. And that's one of the final layers of discernment is this, this possibility that communities can become communities for discernment and that leaders and congregations can discern uh, together with each other. Um, I think the basic spiritual practices are the first thing. Like you can't do discernment if the individuals are not practicing solitude and silence in their lives, if they are not learning to recognize the voice of God as being distinct from all the other voices, including the voices of their own ego. So if human beings get together and are not practicing solitude and silence, um, if they're not practicing um, friendship with God that comes to us through prayer, if they're not used to allowing the scriptures to penetrate their lives, if they're just gathering information through scripture versus letting the scriptures really penetrate um, their lives, if they're not practicing self-examination and discerning what's true and what's false within themselves and what's true and what's false then, you know, within the culture and things like that, they're not going to have much to bring mm. to a corporate leadership discernment experience. So the first thing is each individual's personal spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to take some time to really establish those practices in the lives of the individuals. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Um, your own personal practice of discernment is an absolute prerequisite to being able to practice corporate leadership discernment. There's no better preparation for corporate discernment than being a personal discerner and practicing those things in your own life. Then the community needs to be cultivated for discernment because Discernment is not the same thing as strategic planning and, and intellectual thinking and human striving and ambition and achievement and performance. Those things are not part of, of discernment. Discernment is a whole other thing. And so the community needs to be cultivated for that. Mm -hmm. They need to have practices in place that help them to open to God together and also that help them to be safe with one another in some of the more vulnerable places that discernment takes us to. Discernment takes us to the deepest possible, most yeah. tender spiritual places. And so you have to be safe enough with each other to go there. Yeah. And then, and only then you can bring in the practices associated with corporate leadership discernment. So mm -hmm. it starts with the personal discernment of each individual mm -hmm. and how they're working that out in their own lives and the practices that they've established for themselves. So even the practice of solitude and silence as it has to do with coming together as a group, identifying what you want to discern together, beginning to have conversations, but then knowing that each person is going to go back and take what you've heard together into their solitude, mm. into that quiet place with God and being able to distinguish what God is saying uh, versus other voices that clamor for our attention. Jesus himself, as close as he was to his father, expanded his times in solitude and silence when he was doing discernment. Well, Ruth, thank you so much for yeah. this, yeah, just this rich time. It was short, but really valuable. Well, and my prayers are with you there at St. Peter's as you all, you know, continue your journey of becoming a transforming community that discerns and does the will of God. Yeah, thank you.